recruiting him considerably easier than the rest of your friends. Not my friends anymore. Well, that's the spirit. How did we get here? How did all this happen? It happened because you left, Jack. Now let's get started, shall we? Hello everyone, Matt here and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be looking at episode 501, entitled Because You Left. This is the 87th episode of the series, and there are 34 to go. A quick momentary note here, indeed I have uh, now fully recovered from the effects of Hurricane Sandy. All is well here. Glad to be back using my big boy microphone and uh, and the like. If you'd like to hear about uh, my adventures of uh, making my way through Hurricane Sandy, along with those of the phgeek.com guys, you can uh, head over to the phgeek pop culture podcast uh, this upcoming weekend, uh, where uh, we'll be sharing our views. And uh, you can get there by searching iTunes for phgeek or by heading over to phgeekpodcast.blogspot.com. So enough of the sandy news, let's now head into the Wikipedia summary for this episode that kicks off Season 5. The episode begins in the late 1970s, when the Dharma Initiative has begun to build stations on the island. Dr. Pierre Chang begins to film the orientation film for the Arrow Station, when he is informed that an incident has occurred at the construction site of the Orchid Station. Upon arriving there, he realizes that the workers have found an unlimited source, which the Dharma Initiative has been looking for, and that they will be able to use it to manipulate time. As he leaves the station, he he bumps into Daniel Faraday, who's dressed as a Dharma construction worker. In December 2004, following the island being moved in There's No Place Like Home, the survivors of Oceanic Flight 815, the freighter team, and Juliet Burke begin to erratically jump through time while the others are unaffected. The first jump takes them to the day when the Beechcraft plane carrying Mr. Echo's brother crashes onto the island. John Locke is shot in the leg by Ethan, who has not yet met him and therefore does not recognize him. Meanwhile, Sawyer, Juliet, and the freighter team head to the Swan Station in order to determine when they are. A second jump brings the group forward in time to after the destruction of the station, saving Locke from Ethan in the process. When pressed for an explanation by Sawyer, Daniel Faraday likens the experience to a record skipping. Locke is approached by Richard, who recognizes Locke and treats his wound. He informs Locke that they will be strangers at their next meeting, thus gives him a compass to get his younger self to trust Locke. He explains that the only way to stop the erratic movements through time is to bring back everyone who has left the island. And to do that, Locke will have to die. At the Swan Station, which is now intact, Sawyer tries to contact Desmond, who is inside. Daniel asserts that the past cannot be changed, and since Desmond didn't know Sawyer already when they first met, later in Desmond's timeline, Sawyer cannot be successful. No one answers, and everyone heads back to the beach. Daniel stays behind and knocks again, and Desmond emerges dressed in a hazmat suit, thus belying Daniel's original assertion. 
Daniel tells him that if Desmond's future self and the survivors of 815 make it off the island on the helicopter, then he should go to Oxford University and find Daniel's mother in order to help the survivors. Another jump occurs just before Daniel can give his mother's name. In 2007, in Los Angeles, two lawyers visit Kate. They deliver a court order for a maternity test for her and Aaron, but they refuse to give the name of their secret client. In London, while en route to Los Angeles, Sun is confronted by Charles Widmore at the airport. She tells him she wants to kill Benjamin Linus, a desire that they seem to have in common. Following Hurley's breakout from a mental institution, he and Saeed go to a safe house, which has been infiltrated by two armed men. Saeed kills them, but not before one of them shoots him with two potent drug darts, knocking him unconscious. Meanwhile, Ben and Jack have left the funeral parlor with Locke's body. They discover that Hurley has broken out, hindering Ben's plan to reunite the Oceanic Six. On a boat in an unknown location, the episode concludes with Desmond waking up, having remembered what Daniel told him, and sets off for Oxford. So with that, let's now get into my thoughts about the episode, a, uh, an enjoyable episode. For me, Lost was only gone a couple of weeks. Uh, I certainly remember seeing this in its initial run, where Lost was gone for quite some time. And boy, what a what a great way to start the series up. And also, what a great way to start this season. The season which is probably my second favorite after season two. Um, and perhaps that'll even change uh, in a more positive manner after I've rewatched it. Uh, I just love how taut this season is. It's just really um, it's wonderful. It's the return to all the nitty-gritty Dharma stuff that we love. We get... You know, essentially, we get uh, an orientation film in this episode, or at least the beginning of it, and uh, questions answered about the mysterious guy in the orientation films, and more questions asked about here. He has a child, uh, you know, which of course ends up being Miles, and so forth. So, with that, let's jump right in, shall we? The episode opens with a lingering shot of an old fashioned alarm clock reading 814, then 815, just a nice little. Nice little moment there. Uh, it feels, and I'm sure this must be intentional, it feels like the season two opener with Desmond. And it's the same questions that first-time viewers are asking. Where are we? When are we? There's also great blocking to the scene as it unfolds. We're unable to see the man's face, though there definitely is a 1970s vibe that permeates the scene, the shower tile colors, fashion bits and pieces here and there. Of course, the record that's playing in the background. Uh, And the show is uh, open in showing his baby, which, of course, we can, uh, as I mentioned, we can can recognize in retrospect as Miles. And even though it's in plain sight, I wonder how many people glossed over his presence, given the length of time that Lost was off the air and the true snap-snap speed uh, that the episode opens up with. I'm sure it's, you know, certain segment of, uh, of the audience is meant to be discussing it, but I don't think that it's a massive clue necessarily. Um, what is interesting is that they don't draw this mystery out as they did with Desmond. Perhaps that's a, a result of a shorter season, uh, you know, the shorter seasons that the show is now literally in the middle of. Uh, and indeed, we have a quick cut and a jump sound from Giacchino. And at this point, we're clearly in the 70s and clearly in a bustling Dharmaville. The mysterious man, about to be revealed as Dr. Chang, uh, steps into a small film studio, and we see the first take of the Arrow orientation film. 
Uh, it, it's a nice little moment, too, that he doesn't need the script, he says, that he, he'll just do it. Not only does that help speed things along, um, which this is meant to be a very, very fast opening, but it's also an opportunity for us to say, well, where is this guy on the hierarchy? Is he just, you know, I mean, we've, we've seen Roger Workman. Is this maybe, you know, Larry Film Man? No, he's able to speak about the arrow off the top of his head. Uh, he's then, you know, they're the one that they come in, or he's the one that they come and get when there's an issue uh, in the orchid. So certainly, without overselling it, selling it as, you know, he's, he's a tippity-toppity guy in, uh, in Dharma. Um, and indeed, by the time his take is interrupted with news that there's a problem with the orchid, this really is feeling like a rocking adventure. And of course, he's around this point officially named as Dr. Chang. And as is so many times the case with Lost, the all-important story of our survivors just seems less important at this point. Um, and I don't mean that critically. We're, we're introducing a new chapter ahead of the experiences of our heroes, and it's just, you know, it's just such a, a, a seductive and encapsulating world that we, we want to see more of that. Uh, and with that, we see that there's been that drilling problem with the future orchid, and the work foreman explains the problem to Dr. Chang. We saw in our image the wall. There's an open chamber about 20 meters in, behind the rock. There's something in there. And the only way to get to it is to lay charges here and here. Blast through and Under take a look. no circumstances. This station is being built here because of its proximity to what we believe to be an almost limitless energy. And that energy, once we can harness it correctly, it's going to allow us to manipulate time. Okay, so what, we're gonna go back and kill Hitler? Don't be absurd. There are rules. Rules that can't be broken. So what do you want me to do? You're gonna do nothing. If you drill even one centimeter further, you risk releasing that energy. If that were to happen, God help us all. Let's go. Watch yourself. Sorry, sir. It won't happen again. I'll grab the rest of this did you hear that time travel how stupid as heck i think we are and with that season one is underway it's a fantastic way to set the pace for the season this of course being the time travel season and uh with the introduction of daniel to the scene we almost have a guidepost to where things are headed. Things are headed to, to here in the 1970s. It's, it's nice that that... I mean, it's not a huge mystery. They do spend... It's somewhere in the midpoint of the season. They end up uh, back in the past. Clearly, they're going to be time-traveling uh, very shortly. Uh, I mean, technically, they already have. They just... They don't know it yet. We don't know it yet as first-time viewers. But what a, what a great way to kick things off. It really is. And mysteries aside, after the title card, we're right back where we left things off, you know, despite, uh, despite 
missing uh, or despite not missing our heroes from the, uh, you know, courtesy of that wonderful opening after the title card. There we are back with our heroes. Uh, we're at the Hofstrahler funeral home with Jack drugged and mournful over Locke's body. Ben reenters the scene with a gurney. Need a little reminder of things? Jack asks how they got here and Ben says, because you left. Hey, that's the name of the episode. Anyhow, in the next scene, Jack is shaving, dispensing with that pesky beard. I think also the implication is now he's turning some sort of corner under the tutelage of Ben, which in and of itself should feel a bit creepy. And uh, at this point, the show spells out the flash-forward path to come, essentially the arc for much of the season, recruiting the rest of the Oceanic Six. There's also a drab casual moment when jack asks ben when the last time was that uh, he saw Locke. it's great acting as ben pauses reflects and sighs he's thinking about how it was when he killed Locke out of anger and jealousy that, that he surely must be thinking that i don't know that the actor knew that but it, it can be the only thing on on uh, the character's mind naturally the show doesn't tip its hand for first-time viewers Instead, we get what I believe is a new, or at least a previously unused shot of the Orchid exterior, then a reuse of footage from when Ben apologized to Locke in the season four finale. This is done with a voiceover from Ben. It's odd to see now, uh, but I can only assume that its function was to serve as essentially uh, an extended previously on Lost after the very, very long break between the episodes. Uh, between the end of season four and now this beginning of season five. And Jack continues this previously on Losting that's going on. He talks about Sawyer and Juliet while we're shown Sawyer and Juliet on the beach. What happened? Ben wonders if we'll ever know. And with that, we flash back three years previous with Ben moving the donkey wheel while others uh, hear that whirring start. And I suppose to be fair, another function of their reflection is a reminder that it is you know or maybe not a reminder but it's an opportunity to put that card up that says three years ago uh or three years previous whatever it says to to say we really are dealing with two different spots on the timeline here um now at this point though perhaps the show is feeling like a clip show um, but it's effective and very effective in reminding us where everyone was, you know, a rather complex series of events, um, along with the whole island moving thing, just in case you forgot about it. And just when it really starts to feel clip showy, down to seeing Locke fade to white as the island flashes, well, with that, we fade out of white to new footage of Locke alone on the island with that new season five footage. It's a neat trick indeed. Uh, the island story at this point moves to Daniel and Frogert on the Zodiac boat, and Daniel mumbles that they must have been inside the radius of the island move, so question answered there. Uh, and just in case you weren't clear on the whole island moving thing, the story moves to Sawyer and Juliet on the beach, wondering where the freighter wreckage went. Uh, with that, Rose and Bernard show up and reveal along with the frantic extras, that the camp is gone too. No shelter, no food. It's a fun, ominous little reset for our survivors. How could it all just, you know, go? Uh, is this part of some long-term mystery that's going to take forever to be explained? No. What do you mean the camp's not gone? Who the hell are you anyway? 
That's Dan. He's our physicist. Listen, we have no time. I need you to take me something man-made, something that was built, any kind of a landmark. There's a Dharma station 15 minutes from here. You mean the hatch? The one we blew up? That's perfect. We should get moving before it happens again, okay? Before what happens again? Why is our camp gone? Your camp isn't gone. It hasn't been built yet. And the story moves on to 2007, where Kate is served papers to give a blood test to confirm her relationship to Aaron. It's being done on behalf of a mysterious client, we're told. Kate's reaction? See Kate run. The more things change, it seems the more things stay the same. With that, the story moves back to Sawyer and company, with Sawyer still being shirtless one-third into this episode. Enjoy yourself, ladies. Luckily, Sawyer decides to address the shirt issue by asking Dan for his shirt. Are they even remotely the same size? Actually, I think it's a writerly excuse for Sawyer to huff and puff to get a a further uh, simple explanation towards what in the world is going on. Uh, Therefore, we, the audience, get that explanation as well. The island like a record, spinning on a turntable. Only now, that record is skipping. Whatever Ben Linus did down at the Orchid Station, I think it may have dislodged us. Dislodged us from what? Time. So that's why our camp is gone. Because the island is moving through time? Yeah, either the island is or we are. What? And it's just as likely that we are moving, your people and us. And everyone in your group, you're all accounted for, right? Not everyone. With that, the story moves to Locke. It's at this point that it's worth mentioning that there was always talk of there being an island flashback story. When I say always, you know, seasons two and three, there was this... uh, This was mentioned online. Whether that was serious or just a rumor, uh, I don't know. But certainly these time-hopping episodes uh, function as a very effective island flashback story. And speaking of time-hopping, Locke climbs to a hill just in time to see a twin-engine plane fly by, fly, and crash. It's not just a cute little connection moment. The finding of a Virgin Mary statue, of course, confirms that it's Yemi's plane, uh, the same plane which will lead to Boone's death. But it's also a reminder of what happened. How did the plane get from Africa to the island? Well, Ben moved it just in time, or out of time, or whatever. And I suppose even that isn't accurate. The proper answer is, as Dan said, or at least as Dan suggested, that the island has always been where it is when the plane crashed. Uh, But at least Locke is here to see it. Confused yet? Well, that's why Dan explains so much in this entire episode. Anyhow, Locke climbing up, he gets shot at, and then directly shot, and then he's discovered by a very alive Ethan. That's shocking enough to take us to an act break. Then Locke saves himself, at least (laughs) for the moment, uh, by saying that he knows Ethan and introduces himself as John Locke. This leads to an interesting question. If everything that happened happened... As we've already been told, and as we'll see in future episodes, 
for example, that Jack and company were always in the Dharma pictures uh, that were uh, in the kind of the rec room area of Dharmasville. That means that Ethan always had an odd experience with a man, presumably from the drug plane, who introduced himself as John Locke. Just something to ponder over there. At any rate, Locke is about to be shot, but he and our heroes flash through time and kind of reappear at night. Where are we? Well, Dan tells us, it's either, it tells us it's either the past or the future. With that, we flash forward to the future. Get it? <laughs> See what they did there. Uh, and Sun is in an airport. It's the future. It's 2007, which, of course, for us and content, you know, contemporary viewers, the episode is the past. But, hey, relative. It's all relative. Uh, so Sun is in an airport preparing to fly to L.A. She's asked to step aside and then is taken to a locked room. Mystery, mystery, who did it? Well, it's Widmore, of course, who demands both respect and an explanation about the common interests she hinted at last season. The answer? To kill Ben Linus. With that, we cut to Ben Linus. Get it? Anyhow, it'll be certainly tough to get the whole gang back together because Sun hates Ben, the implication being over Jin's death. We, of course, not realizing, uh, nor does Sun, that he's not dead. By the way, that was one of the great uh, great little mysteries uh, to, uh, well, to this season. Uh, something you know for us to chew over in the break. How could somebody, somebody possibly survive? Uh, Jin, of course, almost dying on the raft. Jin almost dying uh, you know, on water, that is to say. Jin almost dying on the freighter, on water, that is to say. And then how does Jin die? He drowns to death. Not yet, though. And back to this episode, the story keeps zipping along. Ben learns that Hurley has left Santa Rosa. Then we move to Hurley and Saeed on the run from Santa Rosa. After getting some comfort food along with the requisite Hurley likes food jokes, uh, they return to Saeed's apartment where a wicked fight breaks out. Some excellent, excellent fight choreography here. Uh, I think the implication is that it's Widmore's men. Saeed is hit with a sleepy time dart, but not before dispensing with the bad guys, one of which is thrown from a ledge. I believe it's a third-story ledge from the looks of it. Onlookers take a picture of Hurley there, and the act ends with a reminder. Hurley says they never should have left the island. After the act break, it's nighttime on the island. Uh, They find the swan hatch destroyed. Dan nicely tells them, and us, that we're still after the crash then repeats that nothing can be changed. He uses a good analogy. Time is a stream upon which we can move forward and backward, but we can't create a brand new stream. It's a tidy metaphor that spells out the time rules of the show, essentially again. Uh, you'll hear in the trivia bit that, you know, that they added more explanations to this episode because it, you know, there were clarity issues. So with all this skipping, who can stop it? Dan has no answer, but the story cuts to Locke. Hey, Locke, who's somebody who gets off the island. It's a nice little moment for the brighter members of the first-time viewing audience to put it all together. Locke will have to fix the problem, and that's how he exits the island. Speaking of Locke, he's now at the fallen, burned drug plane. There's a bullet in his leg, and he has trouble walking. Not unlike when he first got there with Boone. I wonder if that's a little time ripple connection, perhaps, that uh, you know, because his leg 
was not working when he was there at other parts in time. His leg doesn't work when he's there with Boone. Anyhow, the show doesn't really linger on that notion. An unseen figure approaches with a torch, and it's Richard. And we also, with Richard and from Richard, get some answers. Okay, I need to get the bullet out. How did you know there was a bullet in my leg, Richard? Because you told me there was, John. No, no. No, I didn't. Well, you will. It was Ethan who shot me. Well, who comes around, goes around. When am I? Well, John, that's all relative. Wait, and the noise when the sky lit up. Where did you go? I didn't go anywhere, John. You went. All right, th th this is gonna hurt. It'll be a lot worse if you move, okay? Hold still. I wish I had time to explain it, John, but you're going to be moving on soon. We need to go over a couple things before moving you... Moving on? Sorry. First thing, okay? You're going to need to clean out the wound every couple of hours. Keep as much weight off the leg as you can, all right? The island will do the rest, John. All right. But I don't, Second thing, I don't... no, no, pay attention. Next time we see each other, I'm not going to recognize you, all right? You give me this. All right. What is this? It's a compass. What does it do? It points north, John. And look, I wish I had time to be more sensitive about this because it's a lot to swallow, but you need to know it in order to do what you got to do, so I'm just going to say it, okay? The only way to save the island, John, is to get your people back here, the ones who left. Jack, Kate, the chopper was headed for the boat, the boat. No, they're fine, John, and they're already home, so you have to convince them to come back. How am I supposed to do that? You're going to have to die, John. This scene is direct exposition hidden under a cloud of hurry up before the time travel happens, as it did just there. Now, I'm not complaining. Uh, on the contrary, sometimes exposition is necessary, so it should be done under situations where naturally you, you would be telling things, you wouldn't be kind of discussing things. You know, a situation where it's hurry up, it's not let's discuss this all together and get on the same page. At any rate, Locke flashes on, and the plane is back up on the cliff, so we know that we are uh, we're back a few years again, courtesy of these handy reminders. There's an act break, then Miles and Juliet quickly talk about the hatch. There's a reminder that Desmond legitimately was there pushing the button to save the world. They have another quick flash, and they're back outside the existing hatch. Uh, Sawyer goes to the back door, despite Dan repeating over and over for him, and I think the dullards in the first-time audience, that the past simply cannot be changed. Desmond never opened up to Sawyer, therefore, you know, opened it up to Sawyer, therefore Desmond won't. With that, most of the group returns to the beach, but not before Dan notices Charlotte has a bloody nose. Note that if the audience had forgotten the constant and its nose bleeds, 
we had a reminder at the top of this episode. Dr. Chang saw a dead or dying uh, drill worker with a bloody nose. Foreshadowing, foreshadowing for poor old Charlotte. With that, Dan puts two and two together and sends Charlotte off. He retrieves his pack, uh, goes to his notebook, and has a plan of sorts. It certainly isn't clear to us. He flips to an unseen page, and there's kind of this aha moment. Uh, With that, despite having told Sawyer that he should not be banging on the hatchback door... Dan goes to bang on the hatchback door. Oh, oh, whoa, whoa. Don't shoot. Then you best explain why you've been banging on my door for the last 20 minutes, brother. Desmond. Are you him? Him? Who? My replacement. No, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not. I'm... Do I know you? Yeah. In a way. But listen, that's not important. What is important, Desmond, is what I'm about to say to you. I need you to listen. You're the only person who can help us because, Desmond, the rules... rules don't apply to you. You're special. You're uniquely and miraculously special. What are you talking about? Okay, listen to me. Listen. If the helicopter somehow made it off the island, if you got home... What helicopter? What are you talking listen, about? Listen, I need you to listen. Or people are going to die. My name is Daniel Faraday. And right now... Me and everyone else you left behind, we're in serious danger. You're the only person who can help us. I need you to go back to Oxford University. Go back to where we met. I need you to go there and find my mother. Her name Need another hint that Desmond is a Christ figure? Why, here he's described as someone to whom the rules do not apply and someone who is miraculous. And a reminder, too, that Desmond ends up saving everybody at the end. And of course, that clip ends with the delicious little little nugget there that Daniel's mother is a... Oh, we missed it. It's also a fun moment as well. Uh, how is it that Desmond can square all of this? Well, it's a memory that he must have suppressed somehow. Indeed, he wakes up in 2007 and declares uh, that they, he and Penny, must leave. Penny asks where, and he says, Oxford. It's the kicker to the end of the episode. It's not a strong kicker, mind you. It's a bit anticlimactic, in fact. Um, Perhaps it's made with the knowledge that episode 502 had aired immediately after 501, so you didn't need the strongest of hooks. Um, Indeed, it kind of just feels like the episode falls a bit flat. Um, Which is interesting. You know, again, they're probably aware uh, that they're getting the the two-hour... You know, two two episodes, two hours to kick it off. So again, they're probably not that concerned. You know, this is essentially a midpoint, uh, you know, pr- premiere midpoint hook, not a, you know, an end of the episode. But and so far as I'm experiencing these episodes one at a time, it it does come off as a bit flat. Uh, and indeed, I mean, I feel like we were going, 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 and now it's just oh, we've run out of episode, which is not a feeling that. Uh, I've had, let's say, since the first episode, uh, the first season, where, where that happened frequently. But anyhow, nonetheless, Oxford is how the episode ends. 
And with that, we'll take a look at Lostpedia for any bits and pieces I have missed. Lostpedia uh, says that uh, Penny and Desmond are both seen wearing wedding rings in the final scenes, indicating that they marry after being reunited. So, aww. Uh, also, Desmond and Daniel, uh, when Desmond and Daniel are talking, just as the flash is about to happen, Desmond seems to notice the noise in bright sky before the time shift. The other non-survivors in this episode, Ethan and Richard, didn't seem to notice anything. Desmond most likely can see and hear the Flash because he is, quote, special. Also from Lostpedia, the scene from the opening of the episode uh, was seen from a different perspective in The Variable. So something for us to look forward to. Uh, Lostpedia goes on to say the scene of Richard's treating Locke's wound was also seen from a different perspective in Follow the Leader. And penultimately from Lostpedia, the clock in the airport security holding room reads 9.22 p.m., which was the date of the Oceanic uh, 815 crash, September 22nd. Last from Lostpedia, according to the uh, audio commentary, the scene where Daniel explains the island skipping like a record was originally going to take place much later in the episode. The scene was reshot and added earlier in the episode at a later date. This was because the producers felt the viewers would be less confused when giving uh, an explanation earlier in the episode. So there you go. You kind of get the stream analogy and the record analogy, um, both in the episode, essentially in, in the two halves to kind of bridge. You know, it's a record that's skipping. That's the problem. What are the rules? It's a stream where you can go forward and backward, but you can't change it. Last bit of trivia here, this one from Wikipedia. Sawyer is shirtless throughout the episode. Carlton Cuse jokingly justified that as, quote, for people who really couldn't grasp the time travel aspects of the show, there would be Sawyer without his shirt on for an entire hour, close quote. And with that, let's take a peek towards next week's episode, episode 502, The Lie. This is uh, an episode where we have uh, a bit more from... Uh, bit more from Frank Lapidus, a bit more from Frogert, a bit more from Anna Lucia. Certainly a fun episode and uh, well, one that I look forward to jumping into in, uh, in short order and sharing with you next week. So with that, everybody, I'm glad to be uh, back delving into season five. Uh, I feel like it's almost going to pick up pace here. I mean, my goodness, 33 episodes to go. And, uh, and that's that. But for this week... I will say adieu and talk to you all again next week for 502 The Lie. Take care, everybody, and bye-bye.